And Heavenly Father, we give you humble thanks for, uh, for this day um, that you and your Son, uh, through his death, have defeated, has defeated death, um, so that we would have no fear. Comfort now your people as we come together and, and place soundings in this, uh, uh, this austere reality of, uh, of death. Clarify, Lord, what you would need clarified in us to see what you need us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So somewhat of an unusual, come on in, Julie. Um, an unusual class, you know, reflections on grief, death, and dying, I think is what I've called this. Um, a one-off, um, why? Uh, re- reflections. Uh, I don't intend to teach today, per se. I'm going to try not to teach the way I often do. Um, trying to put a little bit more space, because when I get going, I can, I know I can just freight train it and just, you know, stack things one against the other, and I don't want to do that today. I'd like to to more freely reflect, certainly invite connection, um, to invite uh, uh, comment, if it's appropriate. Um, Aware in a topic like this, grief, death, and dying, uh, our own death, the death of other people that we love, whether that was... um, 20 years ago, I was thinking of my mom, for instance. Uh, hard to believe, it's, uh, you know, when she died in 1997. I can't believe that's, uh, you know, it's, what, here's my math. What's that, 17 years? It's like, you know, I can't believe it's that long. Um, phenomenal, in fact, because it can come just like that. You know, each one of us, I don't know that, a lot of us have that kind of connection point. It's not a neutral subject, in other words. I'm not trying to teach us about death today. That's important. You know, we'll do that um, other times. But today, a little bit different, some, some reflections, some soundings on grief. You know, the, gri- the, the, the heaviness, um, that's what the word comes from, gravitas, grief, the heaviness that we feel properly when someone who we love has died. Um, death, our own death, death of those whom we love, um, uh, the death of those that maybe we don't know, but somehow vicariously it affects us for all sorts of reasons. A death that's in the news, uh, a death of a friend of a friend, and for whatever reason you're in a place where it just resonates with you. You know, that happens. It happens to me. Um, and then dying. You know, I wanted to put that in. I was thinking about this, this, uh, this very short 30 minutes or so. Our own process of dying, as well as as the time that we walk with other people in their death. That privilege, that burden of being with people as they are in their their last days, their last months, their last years. We don't know that. Um, I know it's not a neutral topic, in other words. I would expect for most of us in this room, uh, and I'm not asking, um, we... We came here. I don't know why you came here. Um, could be just because you you wanted to go somewhere, and of the three options today, you're like, well, maybe that one. Um, but for most of us, you're probably coming here with someone in mind, with some something in mind. Maybe people, plural. Um, and I'm very aware of that. Even yesterday, as I was um, preparing for this, uh, you know, and it's somewhat of an emotional topic also. I was surprised at how much emotion came up in my own, uh, came up even as I was just sitting in my house. One of the girls was babysitting, another one was uh, uh, spending the night out, and so the house, and Mei has gone on the, on the women's retreat, so uncharacteristic, the whole house was my own. 
And, uh, and I was just reading in the, in the 28 prayer book, and it just came up. And so I'm going to read from that today. You know, just how quickly, how, how quickly it comes up, how clarifying. I bet that's a word that I use a lot today. Um, it just came to my mind. How clarifying this is, in a good way. Grief, death, and dying. Why it is a privilege. It's a burdened privilege. But why it is a privilege to walk with another in this, uh, to have to stand alone in our own death in a weird way. Uh, maybe maybe I could say that's a privilege. I'm not sure I'm going to go there. But it's a clarifying time. I'll certainly say that. You, we see things more clearly. A lot of the dross, the secondary stuff, the, the urgent, which is the tyrant, uh, gets displaced. You know, just those that knock. And suddenly, aha, there it is. There it is. That's what matters. That's what's important. So something like that is where we're going today. Um, so many scriptures that I thought we could have turned to. Um, I thought of you know 1 Corinthians 15, the great um, opus of Paul on the uh, the reality of the resurrection. Um, but I thought no, not that one, not today. That's a, that's a good teaching time. I didn't want to do that. Um, Job obviously was a great place. Job one. Naked we come into the world, and, and uh, naked we also leave. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or Job 9, there's no mediator between us. Such a great passage. Um, or then uh, the, the high mark of Job in some ways, the redemptive mark. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Not that one either, though. Um, uh, settled on um, 2 Corinthians 12. Um, that my grace is made perfect in your weakness. And we're going to look a little bit of a piece from J.I. Packer um, on that and bookend it, I intend, with uh, uh, Psalm 103, um, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to look at that a little bit. Um, and in between, uh, just try to create, this isn't my strong suit, and I know that, but try to create an atmosphere or a mood which is appropriate for reflections, just to interact with, with grief, death, and dying. Um, our own or, or, or those whom we have loved, um, who have died or whom we love and have fear, whom we love and who are dying, um, to interact with that, to try to allow enough space for, for that connection to come. So you probably came knowing this wasn't going to be a funny class. Um, I was talking to Wayne Morris outside. Uh, you know, it's this. You know, it's either sort of let's show clips from the office, or you know, do some cool U2 stuff, or let's get really, really, really. And this is going to be more the latter. Um, it's obviously not. It's not funny, but it's not supposed to be. Um, trying to come in and, and connect. So that's the hope today. Um, thoughts, even as I say all that, I don't know what they would be, but I want to leave some space. But let's read. Um, let's look at Second Corinthians. 12, and if you have a Bible, you can look at it, but you don't, you don't need to. Um, this great passage from Paul, really one of the most uh, unusual ones. Um, let's start at the very end of 11. Paul, who, like the psalmist later, David, in Psalm 103, uh, is really reckoning with himself in an unusual way, where Paul is going to describe himself to himself. It's this part where he says, I must be out of my mind to speak like this, but I once knew a man. And he's speaking about himself, but he's speaking of himself in third person, as if he's talking about himself over there where Pharaoh's sitting. He's like, I once knew a man over there who was taken up into the third heaven. And that's a way, it's a great way 
to, uh, I think, connect with this theme of death, um, to connect with the realities of our inadequacies, of our need, of pain, of hope, of what's true. And the psalmist is going to do this later. I'll go ahead and spill a bean. Um, I see the psalmist do this more and more often now, this really interesting rhetorical device, but it's much more than that. It's actually, it's just truly inspired. Um, the psalmist seems to step out of himself. David, who himself lost three children. David steps out of himself, you know, in no mood perhaps, I don't know this, in no mood perhaps to bless the Lord. But he steps out of himself and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, he's stepping out of himself and talking to his soul, to himself, to the most, most, most part of himself. My soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Put your hope in God. Um, Paul, like David, are going to be connecting with that, that same theme um, to decry a, a false humility, to, to try to create some sort of sense of, uh, of no, no, it's, it's okay, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. He doesn't go there. He calls a spade a spade. The Bible is always, always calling us to call a spade a spade, a thing what it is. Let's, let's name the thing and let's get it right. Um, it's death. It's death. It's not passing on. It's not, not passing away. It's not um, merging into the one. It's death. And it's not ever to be our friend. We're not to befriend death. It's one of the great enemies of God, and it's the last one that's defeated. But Mark, it is defeated. We call a spade a spade, and the psalmist David and, and the apostle Paul very clear on that and very helpful. So here's 2 Corinthians, um, the last part of, of chapter 11 and then moving to 12 where David, reckoning with his own weakness, perhaps the very thing which he feared would, would, would be the end of, uh, of him, um, he was executed. And so this wasn't, whatever this thorn in his flesh were, this is the thorn in the flesh passage, reckoning with himself and, and, and the reality that the Lord isn't going to take it away. Um, in view of the surpassing revelations which uh, the, the, the Lord has given Paul, he saw fit to give and, and to, to leave a thorn in the flesh of Paul. And Paul has to step outside of himself and talk to himself. And so we hear this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things. He's talking about himself, Paul. And he, this other person, this other part of Paul, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, 
so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I might even say with death. For when I am weak, I am strong. So Paul, interacting with all this, interacting with all this weakness, um, coming to that place of, of great contentment, peace, shalom, place of, uh, like Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the last I shall see him face to face um, in this body. Uh, Paul, coming to that place of, of, uh, of a surpassing greatness of a revelation, that from this truth I shall stand. I shall stand. This weakness, um, and now I've bridged to J.I. Packer, uh, moves to a place of inadequacy. Weakness always implies some form of inadequacy, some, some bar, some standard, which by some measure, some reference point, is not being met. It could be a true reference point. It might be a false reference point. But there's always the sense of inadequacy that accompanies this, this weakness. And the perspective of the strong, at least in our flesh, um, the perspective of the strong is always the preferred perspective. It's always the perspective that we want to have win the day. And it takes something like what Paul has described here, where this living word, I pray, apprehends each one of us in the way that it will, uh, to write the perspective, to displace the hubris of the old Adam, more than that, to kill it, and to, uh, to give us that contentment that Paul has, that, that though now I know that I am passing away, I can yet be content. I can yet uh, reckon myself to living in plenty or in want, to be bound or free, uh, to know contentment, that in all things I can endure, I can do all those things in Christ who strengthens me. Um, and J.I. Packer's in touch with this. J.I. Packer, some of us would know him. Probably, of course, um, he, he just magnificent timing. He wrote this book called Knowing God, and it just burst on the scene. What in the... When did Knowing God come out? In the mid-70s, 77, something like that? You might know. Um, it's a guess, 20-something years ago. And it's just a work of Puritan theology. If you know J.I. Packer, he, he thinks like this. He and John Harper. I always think of John Harper. Gosh, you can see the outline when John teaches. I wish I were that way, and I'm just not. I wish people saw the outline. Here's step A, six points, B, five points. Um, Packer will even say that. He came to the Advent once. Some of y'all will remember that. Um, I had the privilege of, uh, of interacting with him to... Um, 
to invite him. Uh, he was here for Beeson, and we kind of piggybacked on him, and I was so thrilled. On a Saturday morning, there were probably a couple hundred people that came to the Advent to listen to him. It was great. Um, and I think he even said, Oh, it's so good to be with you at the Advent. And he goes, I only have 14 points that I want to share with you. And he goes on, and sure enough, he had 14 points, all from memory. And he went to them bullet to bullet with each one of them three to five sub-points. And phenomenal, phenomenal mind. Anyway, he's an old man. He's probably 88, 89. I don't know how old he is. He's not here for too much longer. And he wrote a little book. Um, this one, um, Weaknesses the Way. It's little. You can see it. Read, read, read it in one sitting if you're a quick reader. Uh, it's really, as he said, soundings. I think it's a great word. Soundings in Second Corinthians. Um, the whole of the book, but particularly this one. And, uh, and Crossway, the people that did it, put this little video together. Um, I will say this aside. When I did have the privilege of inviting him, uh, this was some time ago, probably probably about 2000. The internet was just coming out. Maybe it hadn't. I don't. I don't remember. But anyway, no, I don't think it had. I think we were still printing letters. But uh, only way he corresponded was with a typewriter. And this features a typewriter. And I still have it in my office. I should have brought it. I have this letter from J.I. Packer, and it's typed. And it's really great. So it's one of the best things that I have. So. Um, so here's this little piece where J.I. Packer is, is connecting to weakness as an old man. And then we'll see what we do.
the Lord spoke to him and says, well, he said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Promos for books go. I think that's very well done. Um, we should do one for your book, Mark. Um, okay, pause. Any comments so far? Any thoughts? Is it the name of the book you don't It is. Weakness is the way. lots of ideas, um, some rhetorical device, of either it's a rhetorical device or some sense of uh, uh, the firmament, almost a layer, you know, with the idea of the firmament of heaven sort of you know, keeping out the, the, the very spatially oriented way that you would describe the, the, the creation, but, and for, for constraints now, I'm probably not going to chase that too far. Um, I think mainly that's, that's, a, that's a, it's, it's rhetoric. So, Mark, would you agree? I mean, where would that go? So, yeah, um, it's a great question. I don't mean to push that off, but so, um, you know, just to stay with death for a moment, and then do a little bit from the twenty-eight, and end with the psalm. Um, and I want to try to be fair and not just get on a little high horse. Um, you know, we don't do well with death as a as a culture, as a society, and we haven't for several years. And there's lots of reasons for that. But we, we, we don't. We try, to, uh, we try to remove it from our face as much as possible. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I'm, I'm way out of my league here, but I feel pretty sure, you know, back in the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, people were starting to move into cities. In a very real way, we had to then do something with all the people that died. And so more and more, they started to move out. That's when we started not having graveyards, which were you know, attached to churches, but cemeteries, a place where just sort of municipalities could, um, you know, in a very, 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 very you know, reverent way, you know, place remains. But that then, you know, has moved a lot more, um, I think, quickly in the last, I'd say since World War II, probably, my very amateur seat as a cultural critic. How uh, we move from funerals where the body is present to give us a very phys- and, and I'm not I don't want to step on any toes I'm, I'm, I'm a, I know I'm at a you know a little trembling here because I really want to be respectful um, I move from funerals where the body is present to give us a very physical reminder of of the reality of death our death most especially as many have said um, many many people that I listen to I'm I'm becoming increasingly aware of this part of my role. That's the privilege that this church gives me to be a minister of the gospel, a pastor to people that I'm standing in front of and love very much. One of the most important things I think, and I'm parroting this, but I'm, I'm, I'm all in. One of the most important things I think that I can do is to help each of us prepare for our own deaths. A weird thing to say. You know, Lord willing, for most of us, it's, it's a long way away. For others, you know, it's very near. You know, I may well have the burden and privilege of being very near to some of y'all's deaths. And then likewise, you may have the burden 
of being very near to my own. None of us know the span of our days. I mean, on the way home, the beer truck had hit me. Gone. Um, I'm not, and truly, we, we do not know. It's one of the most important things, I think, ultimately, is to prepare for our deaths. Um, it's coming. I can get really, I can get, I could, I'm a hair away from crying really bad. But each person in this room is going to die. I'm looking at people that I know and love. Each one of us are going to die. That is a certainty. And that's really hard. Because we don't deal well with it. We move from funerals to memorial services, which again, you know, some good reasons for that, I think, as we started to move around a lot more and, and, and people didn't stay in the same sort of two-mile square radius that they were born, you know, having the body present was, 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 was less and less feasible. So there's all sorts of reasons why we do that. But now I will, you know, stand pretty strongly. And then we move to, you know, life celebrations or celebrations of life, and that's not good. No, certainly it's a half-truth, but, you know, what's wrong with that? Um, And I've I've, I've taught on this before. It's obviously one of my little soapboxes. It it tries to make friends with death, and it minimizes the pain that's in the room sometimes. Say, no, no, don't cry. I want everybody to kind of, when I die, have a party, you know, speak well of me, and go out and, you know, get drunk and just, you know, Give me one last hurrah or something like that. That's not, that's not good. You know, we want, we want to call a spade a spade. Death is not to be made friends with. It's not a circle of life. It's not, um, it's not something that we accommodate ourselves to. We stand against it, and we stand strongly in the great title of John Owen, you know, the death of death and the death of Christ. And we say, yes, death is defeated, and it's not the way things will be the last day uh, and we bring that back I'm really glad we have a columbarium here now um, that physical reminder and more and more I find myself walking through it and looking down and slowing down and seeing people who I knew sometimes I was very close to and there they are there are their names you know because I don't make it out to Elmwood that much um, I don't make it to you know Sealy Texas where I'm from where you know I have aunts uncles grandparents my mother you know just that reminder of, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Um, we come into the world, and so also should we go out? Yeah. Um, I need to just um, tell just a real quick little story. It seems like this summer I've had a, this hit me, and I'm correct, death. Um, my neighbors across the street, he. <coughs> James was the first violinist, first James violinist in Birmingham Symphony, and his wife was also a violinist. Okay, he has brain cancer, and it came back, and he was the kindest and sweetest person in the world. Okay, um, they sent him home after the last surgery, and there was nothing else they could do for him. He was raised a Methodist. She is a Jew. And she is, I wouldn't say she's a Zionist, but uh, she leans a little bit that way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, about two hours 
before he died, he asked Marilyn, uh, Marilyn, I want to say Paula, and she called me and asked me to come over. And I was like, uh, this man who got the a few minutes, maybe a couple hours. To live. Uh, yeah, what can I say to him? And she is standing right there. So I, I really, I just kind of said, you want to guide me in this. I don't know what to say. Um, so I went back there. Yes, indeed, his eyes were glazed over. He was just very close. He said uh, to me, he said, Jesus. And I said, yes, yes, hmm. what about, yeah. He said, um, I, you know, um, like I had been to church. I said, James, at this point, I think we both ought to just hold hands and turn it over to God. Hmm. And that's what God told me to say. I didn't know what I was going to say. Sure. In the, the wife was standing right there. She was listening. And I just, and she's a good friend of mine. I was not going to make her mad by going into some tirade. Sure. She must be born again. And all. I wasn't going to do that. So that's the way that the Lord died sure. to handle Sure. Thank you. It. Yeah. Take that back. Yeah, to say, you know, I think let's hold hands and give this over to God. Why? That's what I did. Yeah, I'm going to pick that up because that's, that's that's a great segue. Here's a fixed form. Yeah. Um, the 28 prayer book, and this isn't a 2879 sort of thing or something like that. Um, 28 had uh, rubrics, a place for a minister to walk into a home because people died in their homes mostly, mostly then. And to, uh, this wasn't last rites, but to offer prayers. And it's just seeped in the scriptures. And that's what I was sitting reading yesterday when I had, you know, sort of an unexpected emotional sort of connection to it. Mostly the Psalms um, and this sort of call and response from the Psalms. But to read a few of the prayers that were, um, that are present in the 28. And it's very similar to what you're describing of, of the activity of God here at the last hour. The minister upon walking in speaks, Remember not, Lord, our iniquities, nor the iniquities of the forefathers. We're going to capture that in Psalm 103 here in a few minutes. And then there's some other prayers that I won't, I won't read, but a couple that caught my mind in particular. Um, we don't seem to pray prayers like this very much anymore. Uh, but again, in, in a moment of such sickness, of, of either death that's imminent or death that's just happened, it's a very clarifying time. So we place ourselves in that kind of clarity. And here's one of the colleagues. Sanctify, we beseech thee, O Lord, the sickness of this thy servant, that the sense of his weakness may add strength to his faith, faith and seriousness to his repentance, and grant that he may dwell with thee in life everlasting, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What I see in this short collect is uh, is real profundity in its brevity, um, 
a proper placement, very much what you were saying, proper placement upon the, uh, the very strong and omnipotent hand of God, where the prayer is to, uh, as we beseech, as we beg, Luther's last words before he died, we are beggars, it is true, that we die, that death is a very individual experience. And at the end of the day, we stand naked, as Job would say, before God, uh, begging. Begging that, that what I believe is true and that the Lord will, will reveal his mercy. And so we beseech thee, Lord, that the sickness of this thy servant, that is, uh, this sense of weakness may add strength to his faith, and that, the seri- and that it would be given seriousness to his repentance that the inward man would be strengthened as the outward man decayeth, as another prayer would say. And then... The fellow in the video and this lady are saying a lot of the same yes. thing. And I, 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 uh, I'm in medicine. I see a lot of people who are very, very close to death where you've tried um, you know, all the human things possible that you can to, to try to help them. Um, and, and it's funny how you handled that situation because uh, most, I would say, most of the people that I take care of are Christians yeah. and, and, and come from a very strong faith background. And I, I inter- at those times, I interact with them in exactly the same way that you interacted with your friend. I, I let them know that, that uh, we're not in charge. You know, I, yeah. I, there's not anything that I can do that, that yeah. anybody in the family can, can do. That it's, in, it's in God's hands, yeah. and that's the only comfort that, that we have in that yeah. uh, situation. And it's a, and it's amazing when people. Uh, it's almost like a light goes off in people's eyes that they accept that weakness, and uh, or, or many do. And when they realize that God's uh, in control of the situation, there's more of a peace mm. yeah. um, mm-hmm. in the face of, uh, you know, in the face of death. Yeah. Yeah, yes. There was a surgeon at UAB years ago, a neurosurgeon named Garber Galbraith, and he had an expression that stuck with me because of seeing things over the years. He said, sometimes death is the old man's friend. Hmm. I think it's true. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. you know, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Julie? Um, my mom, who just passed away, she had one of those old-fashioned deaths. I mean, she was actually very, very um, with it and active, but she went down like that. And um, St. John's Episcopal Church, a priest um, on staff, her calling was death. I mean, that was her calling, her passion, and she knew all about it. And so my mom was in her home, and she came over that day, and she anointed her and did stuff like the prayer like you did. And then she turned to me, and she said, now call me as soon as she passes. And I said, well, it might be tonight, you know, in the middle of the night. She said, call me as soon as you can, because I'm going to do a liturgy at the prayer book. And I said, well, I'll call you in the morning. She said, no, it has to be as soon as she dies. So I went, okay. So, and that was my first thought, and there was a nurse there with her when my mom died, and she came back to get me this nurse, and she said, um, you know, I, I think you need to come in, and my mom had died, and, I, and my first thought was, this priest told me to call her at hmm. 1.59 a.m., 
So I called her. You know, her name is Candace. I said, um, she goes, my mom just passed away. She was over there in 10 minutes, and she says, y'all get your prayer books. When, by that point, I called my brother. Anyway, so we go and find these prayer books and get them, and she did a liturgy. And it was so comforting, and mm. it was like, you know, it's in the prayer book, and nobody's ever noticed that before. It's like, deliver her from all sins of evil, mm-hmm, blah, 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 mm-hmm, blah. Mm-hmm. And we say something, it just lasted two minutes. So that was very comforting. And then when Frank Lonehouse, you know, called, and I was telling him about that, he said, well, she was already saying, you know, which is true, you don't have to do this, so y'all don't have to go to your son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's for you. Absolutely. That it's there, so, yeah. I didn't really know it, and, you know. Yeah. I commend it to you. Either in the 79, what they call the ministrations at the death. Yeah. And this is, uh, and these are the 28, where it has the visitation of the sick, is what it's called. You know, with the internet now, you can find this online. Um, thank you. Here's a, a prayer, and then I'm going to read the psalm and we'll, we'll end. Um, the rubric is to, entitled, The Prayer for a Sick Person when, they appeareth, when There Appeareth But a Small Hope for Recovery. So it's very much what you're describing, Pharaoh. And this is the one that I thought stood out the most to me yesterday. The activity of God and ultimately our passivity at death. That, that, uh, that all is cleared away. Any, any, uh, any mask that of supposed control you know, is, is, of course, stripped at the last, the last hour. We, we, have, we have no control. Uh, o Father of mercies and God of all comfort, our only help in time of need. And that word becomes very real if you've sat with someone, like many have in this room. I hear it. When someone is really dying, when they're there at their last breath, their last breaths, when you can count them, you know, you know it's probably 20 more, 19 more, 18 more. It becomes very clear that God really is our only help. It's more than words. It's not, it's not rhetoric. Our only help in time of needs. We fly unto thee for succor. In behalf of this thy servant, here lying in great weakness of body. Look graciously upon him, O Lord. And the more the outward man decayeth, strengthen him, we beseech thee. So much more continually with thy grace and Holy Spirit in the inner man. Give him unfeigned repentance for all the errors of his life past and steadfast faith in thy Son, Jesus, that his sins may be done away by thy mercy and his pardon sealed in heaven through the same, thy Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As Rod Rosenblatt once said, you know, get a hold of prayers like this. Um, Better, get a hold of psalms like this. Uh, Get a hold of liturgy where the Bible has been arranged for prayer, like the entrance, you know, it's just not better. What we do in the Episcopal Church, it's one of the few times I really give it a lot of props, our burial of the dead. It's not a life service, it's burial of the dead. And from the back of the church, walking in, um, the recitations from the Gospel of John and Job, First Timothy. Um, uh, I know that my Redeemer liveth. At the last day I shall behold face to face. As Rod Rosenblatt said, you know, you can remember those when you're lying on the asphalt on a freeway. That's brash. That's Rod. Um, But it's true. When you've had a stroke and you're on the floor in the bathroom and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. 
those words will come up and you'll remember them. Like this, Psalm 103. And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap with this. Remember Paul speaking of himself? Well, here's the psalmist doing the same thing. Um, maybe in no mood to bless the Lord. And yet the psalmist knows what is true. He's been given a surpassing revelation to rest on this rock. David himself, you know, no stranger to, uh, to grief. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, even in mind of uh, perhaps David thinking of his children who have died. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, take these words humbly offered, attach yourself to them, we pray, in a way that would be helpful, comforting, strengthening. Um, allow by your mercy. Uh, your uh, grace to be perfected in our weakness. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.